Welcome to Over in Smith, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast where we read the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft. And usually there's an audiobook if the story isn't too boring or racist. Or both. Uh, today we're going to be reading chapter three of Shadow Out of Time. And with me is someone who keeps getting like glimpses of another alien world. Art. Hi. I. They keep on saying, hey, those are just dreams, but... I know what dreams are. Get out of my head. <laughs> Get out of my head, gay thoughts. Yeah. Um then you try to fist fight them, but it doesn't work cuz they're 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 just gay yeah, thoughts. Yeah, we it was like a week since we recorded last, so I'm going to be real honest. I had so I actually had to go back and review cuz I couldn't remember <laughs> what happened. I I refreshed myself. Basically, all last chapter, he talked about he gets he keeps getting flashes and dreams of another world, like cities and um, like not just one city, but like the traveling, seeing different like landscapes, uh, different kinds of buildings, going on like voyages elsewhere. He keeps getting flashes of this of like an alien world that he's never seen before that is strange and confusing compared to i mean our perspective of our world like the architecture is completely different and everything's made out of like stone that like buildings are not normally made out of here that kind of stuff so he basically spent all chapter talking about what he saw in these flashes and dreams and stuff his visions yeah, no I remember it. The guy was complaining that his other self got a really cool, uh, had a really cool time. I know, right? It sounds rad, considering he's just a boring economics professor. Oh, I'm probably, I'm probably going to say that unemployment is actually good because the the business class will have uh, more uh, money left <laughs> over. Sure. <laughs> I think he's actually, like, a history of economics teacher, too. Which is even worse. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, unless he's a communist, but he's not, because I know HP was not into commies. Not not yet, at least. Yeah, one of his gay friends haven't said, yo, commies. That's cool, right? You know what's nice? Socialism. And he's like, you know what? You're right. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, not really enough. He's like, you know what? You're right. The New Deal is pretty fucking sweet. And that's basically socialism. And I do love it because I'm not eating out of a garbage can right now because of it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you got it. HP, you're getting close. And then he died. Yeah. Of horrifically painful stomach cancer. So, oh, well. Yep. yep. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what happened last time. You just talked about this really cool alien world that reminded us a lot of the Dreamland stuff. Or dream world stuff, uh, like the way that the buildings and stuff are described, what they're made out of, that kind of stuff. The kind of uh, vegetation that grows there. It's very much a lot like um, all the different places described in like Zelfars and uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Yeah, like, like he's just like, 
wow, all these primitives around me, blah, blah, blah. But also, look at all these people who are really way smarter than me. Whoa. Except this guy is like, oh, it's a scary alien world. But meanwhile, we're like reading it like, I don't know, this place sounds kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah, I will say, though, if they don't say the Yith specifically, that might be a thing later on in the mythos. Oh, that but is it true. feels like the yeah. It de- it definitely does. Yeah. I guess we will have to see. We have several more chapters before the end. Yes. All right. Shall we find out more about what happened to this boring, boring man? Never. Who had five years of excitement? Never ever. No, we're oh, just kidding. Podcast is over. Yep. <laughs> we're we're gonna, ending we're, it like way too early. <laughs> we're not even reading Haunter in the Dark. <laughs> Haunter of the Dark. <laughs> we're not. It's just over. Yep. We'll read his early draft of uh, Shadow over Innsmouth, and that's it. It's three pages. That's all you guys get. Yep. You gross little fish people fuckers. Just kidding. We love, we love the fish people. <laughs> all right. The Shadow Out of Time by H.P. Lovecraft. As I have said, it was not immediately that these wild visions began to hold their terrifying quality. Certainly, many persons have dreamed intrinsically stranger things. Things compounded of unrelated scraps of daily life, pictures, and reading, and arranged in fantastically novel forms by the unchecked caprices of sleep. For some time, I accepted the visions as natural, even though I had never before been an extravagant dreamer. Many of the vague anomalies, I argued, must have come from trivial sources too numerous to track down, while others seemed to reflect a common textbook knowledge of the plants and other conditions of the primitive world of 150 million years ago, the world of the Permian or Triassic Age. In the course of some months, however, the element of terror did figure in with accumulating force. This is when the dreams began so unfailingly to have the aspect of memories, and when my mind began to link them with my growing abstract disturbances, the feeling of mnemonic restraint, the curious impressions regarding time, the sense of loathsome exchange with my secondary personality of 1908 to 1913, and, considerably later, the inexplicable loathing of my own person. Oh yeah, we forgot. I forgot to say... Like, last time he mentioned feeling, like, very depersonalized. Like, he was having, he'd have, like, these out-of-body experiences, and he'd have to, like, reground himself by looking in the mirror and seeing that it was him piloting oh, no. the meat suit. Oh, no, he disassociated. Oh, oh no. no, I wonder what that's like. <sighs> Man, this is just, this, this doesn't... Oh, just describe no. it. Just describe it. Just not having a good day. Yeah, it's just me on bad days. Oh, your your sense of self feels like it's outside of your body. Well, welcome to how I feel. Oh no, you're having maladaptive daydreaming. Gosh, I wonder what that's like. <sighs> Man, damn. As certain definite details began to enter the dreams, their horror increased a thousandfold. Until by October 1915, I felt I must do something. It was then that I began an intensive study of other cases of amnesia and visions, feeling that I might thereby objectivize my trouble and shake clear of its emotional grip. However, as before mentioned, 
The result was at first almost exactly opposite. It disturbed me vastly to find that my dreams had been so closely duplicated, especially since some of the accounts were too early to admit of any geological knowledge and therefore of any idea of primitive landscapes on the subject's part. What is more, many of these accounts supplied very horrible details and explanations in connection with the visions of bright buildings and jungle gardens and other things. The actual sights and vague impressions were bad enough, but what was hinted or asserted by some of the other dreamers savored of madness and blasphemy. Worst of all, my own pseudo-memory was aroused to wilder dreams and hints of coming revelations, and yet most doctors deemed my course on the whole an advisable one. I studied psychology systematically, and under the prevailing stimulus, my son, Wingate, did the same. His studies leading eventually to his present professorship. In 1917 and 1918, I took special courses at Miskatonic. Meanwhile, my examination of medical, historical, and anthropological records became indefatigable, involving travels to distant libraries, and finally including even a reading of the hideous books of forbidden elder lore, in which my secondary personality had been so disturbingly interested. Some of the latter were the actual copies I had consulted in my altered state, and I was greatly disturbed by certain marginal notations and obstinable corrections of the hideous text in a script and idiom which somehow seemed oddly unhuman. These markings were mostly in the respective languages of the various books, all of which the writers seemed to know with equal, though obviously academic, facility. One note appended to von Jens's Un Osperlichten Kulten, however, was alarmingly otherwise. It consisted of certain curvilinear hieroglyphs in the same inks as that of the German corrections, but following no recognized human pattern. And these hieroglyphs were closely and unmistakably akin to the characters constantly met with in my dreams, characters whose meanings I would sometimes momentarily fancy I knew or was just on the brink of recalling. To complete my black confusion, my librarians assured me that, in view of previous examinations and records of consultation of the volumes in question, all of the notations must have been made by myself in my secondary state. This, despite the fact that I was and still am ignorant of the three of the languages involved. They're like, please stop writing in the fucking books. <laughs> Like, I understand writing in the margins is cool for your books. Stop writing my books, please. Please. As these are, like, very rare books, too. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to get the Necronomicon? Nobody makes them anymore. Except for that William D. who keeps on writing the wrong things. <laughs> Ain't, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I also like how he cor his like other self corrected. Like that's not how you that's not how you summon a demon. This is how you summon a demon. <laughs> that is completely the wrong symbol. Everybody knows it's this. Like in Solomon's Keys. Like no, that demon's not going to teach you the knowledge of the universe. It's just going to turn you into a bird, and it can't turn you back. Is the thing <laughs> that crap, I forget the name of it. It's going to turn you to a bird and teach you about periods. That's yeah. all. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and it, cannot, it doesn't say anywhere that it can turn you back into a person. 
We're not talking about Stolas, the the nice little boy that teaches you about gems and stars and is a long-legged owl. Yeah, he's rad. No, it's another one that turns you into a bird and teaches you about menstruation. God, yeah, I can't remember which demon that was, but uh, it was, yeah. I remember, yeah, because you pointed out, you're like, it doesn't say that it can turn you back. I need to re-listen to those episodes because I remember I remember Crow Cell just being just like a hot mess. Uh and that yes. you should uh but man. Yeah. But there's the bird that teaches you about period to turn you to a bird. Yeah. So it looks like I think it looked like a peacock, basically. Yeah, so it looks like a peacock. The worst bird. Like, I mean, like, learning about, like, you know, menstruation and stuff is, like, I guess, like, a, a thing you need to learn, but also I don't want to be turned into a bird because of it. I just, like, I imagine <laughs> somebody's like, listen, I need you to come over. I need you to teach my children about menstruation. It's about time that they learn these very important processes. And the demon's like, can I turn them into birds too? And you're like, absolutely not. <laughs> <sighs> You can only you can only teach them about menstruation. No turning anybody into birds. <laughs> That's secretly its favorite thing to do is turn people to birds. It's like, yeah, sure. Here's the full like cycle of a uterus, what it goes through. But also, like, would you like to become a canary? I'm just saying. <laughs> The thing is, it gets like way too into the period talk, like in a way that's like a little gross. Yeah, and it forgets to turn you into a bird. It's the you you have to trade off somehow. Yeah, you either have to hear details about the process of menstruation that you don't want to know, that you don't need to know, or you get turned into a bird. It's one or the other. Piecing together the scattered records, ancient and modern, anthropological and medical. I found a fairly consistent mixture of myth and hallucination, whose scope and wildness left me utterly dazed. Only one thing consoled me. The fact that the myths were of such early existence. What lost knowledge could have brought pictures of the Paleozoic or Mesozoic landscape into these primitive fables? I could not even guess, but the pictures had been there. Thus, the basis existed for the formation of a fixed type of delusion. Cases of amnesia no doubt created the general myth pattern, but afterward, the fanciful accreations of the myths must have reacted on amnesia sufferers and colored their pseudo-memories. I myself had read and heard all the early tales during my memory lapse. My quest had amply proved that. Was it not natural, then, for my subsequent dreams and emotional impressions to become colored and molded by what my memory suddenly held over from my secondary state. A few of the myths had significant connection with other cloudy legends of pre-human world, especially those Hindu tales involving stupefying gulfs of time and forming part of the lore of modern theosophists. Oh, we're bringing about theosophists. Oh boy. Mm. Weren't, they, weren't they Nazis? No. Uh, so a lot of theosophy kind of turned into Nazis. Oh, Nazism. that's right. It came uh, before the Nazism occult stuff. Yeah, so uh, you know why uh, I forget the name. I purged a lot of Nazi knowledge in my it's, it's probably one year. Good, it's probably a good thing you did because that was a rough time. <laughs> that was a rough time. God, I... Ooh, but let's just say ecofascism really fucks up my brain for some reason. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot. 
Yeah, but uh, the modern person behind organic food, like the like you know, oh, treating yeah. your body to it was a theosophist that uh, yes. really hated Jews. That uh, yep. basically thought, hey, we should have clean food that is not touched by those Jewish hands. <laughs> basically, <laughs> of uh, course, yeah, that's. So. That's right. Okay. Primal myth and modern delusion join their assumption that mankind is only one, perhaps the least, of the highly evolved and dominant races of this planet's long and largely unknown career. Things of inconceivable shape, they implied, had reared towers to the sky and delved into every secret of nature before the first amphibian forebear of man had crawled out of the hot sea 300 million years ago. Some had come down from the stars, as few were as old as the cosmos itself. Others had risen swiftly from terrain germs, as far behind the first germs of our life cycle as those germs are behind ourselves. Spans of thousands of millions of years and linkages with other galaxies and universes were freely spoken of. Indeed, there is no such thing as time in its humanly acceptable sense. But most of the tales and impressions concerned a relatively late race of a queer and intricate shape resembling no life form known to science, which had lived till only 50 million years before the advent of men. This, they indicate, was the greatest race of all, because it alone had conquered the secret of time. It had learned all things that ever were known or ever would be known on the earth through the power of its keener minds to project themselves into past and future, even through gulfs of millions of years, and study the lore of every age. From the accomplishments of its race arose all legends of prophets, including those in human mythology. In its vast libraries were volumes of texts and pictures holding the whole of earth's annals, histories and descriptions of every species that had ever been or that ever would be, with full records of their arts, their achievements, their languages, and their psychologies. With this aeon embracing knowledge, the great race chose from every era and life form such thoughts, arts, and processes as might suit its own nature and situation. Knowledge of the past secured through a kind of mind casting outside the recognized senses was harder to glean than knowledge of the future. In the latter case, the course was easier and more material. With suitable mechanical aid, a mind would project itself forward in time, feeling its dim, extrasensory way till it approached the desired period. Then, after a preliminary trials, it would seize on the best discoverable representative of the highest of the period's life forms. Entering the organism's brain and setting up therein its own vibrations, while the displaced mind would strike back to the period of the displacer, remaining in the latter's body till a reverse process was set up. The projected mind in the body of the organism of the future would then pose as a member of the race whose outward form at war, learning as quickly as possible all that could be learned of the chosen age and its massed information and techniques. Meanwhile, that is the youth. Yep, exactly. That's the yeah. <laughs> That's them. I do. I really love the idea of um, a race that is so like 
has learned so much about time and like quantum mechanics that they are completely divorced from it. Like past and present mean nothing because it feels like it's all happening at once. Yeah, it's it's very cool, but also at the same time, I don't want to experience it ever. No, me neither. Like, I need time to exist in a linear fashion for me to understand it. Well, I don't uh, need it to exist in a linear fashion. I just don't need to... Okay, how, how do I say this without getting a grippy sock vacation? I want <laughs> to not exist in space-time or physically. Yeah, being corporeal. Yeah, like the only time I need to happen is like whatever I'm enjoying something and then the rest could just stop. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. I guess the yith get it too. (laughs) Yeah. Because it sounds like they just pick like a time period that they want to go to and they're like, yeah, sure. I'll just like, I don't know, like just hijack a meat suit for a little while and just have fun, learn whatever I want. I like how this Yith was like, yeah, 1920s sounds great. Oh, shit. Turns out this is a bad time. There's Spanish flu. There's a world war that just happened. Uh, Every economy on Earth has now exploded. Uh, Oops. I guess I'll start a couple cults. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll, like, I'm predisposed of wanting to start or be in a cult, so, you know. (laughs) Either one's fine. I mean, I, I honestly, since this would be around the time that spiritualism was like dying out, uh, it would be a good time to start a cult. People, the people need something. Yeah, the people need something, and it's my brand of bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the dry cult <laughs> where yeah. you donate or, your bones, or it's a cult all about like you know trying to see who can get the best frog. Oh, I like that cult. That's a good cult. 10 out of 10 cult right there. I'll join that yeah. cult in a in a heartbeat. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to put like uh, sexual abuse in it, but you know. You'll figure out a way. And, like every cult figures out a way. <laughs> so. Yeah. God. I think the but, only one I can think of that did it was Heaven's Gate. Yeah, but there was suicide involved, so. Yeah, they kind of replaced like... The thing with Heaven's Gate is they were so detached from their bodies that they then killed themselves. Yeah, but, like... Uh, not really any sexual abuse because they were so detached from earthly desire. Yeah. Which, I mean, a lot of cults say, but don't achieve. Yeah. They're like, we're just gonna wear some nice tennis shoes and um, that's it. We're gonna hop on a meteor going by. If they wanted to get rid of earthly desires, like... You could just disassociate a lot. I know, right? Just depersonalize a little bit. Yeah. Dissociate. Like There's another you. one I can't remember out of the, that's one of those three. Yeah. I'm not going to look it up. Anyways. Meanwhile, the displaced mind thrown back to the displacer's age and body would be carefully guarded. You'd be kept from harming the body it occupied and would be drained of all its knowledge by trained questioners. Often, it could be questioned in its own language when previous quests into the future had brought back records of that language. If the mind came from a body whose language the great race could not physically reproduce, clever machines would be made in which the alien speech could be played, as on a musical instrument. The great race's members were immense rugose cones ten feet tall, 
and with head and other organs attached to foot-thick, distensible limbs spreading from the apexes. And they spoke by the clicking or scraping of huge paws or claws attached to the end of two of their four limbs, and then walked by the expansion and contraction of a viscous layer attached to their vast ten-foot bases. When the captive's mind, amazement and resentment had worn off, and when, assuming that it came from a body vastly different from the great races, it had lost its horror at its unfamiliar temporary form, it was permitted to study its new environment and experience a wonder and wisdom approximating that of its displacer. With suitable precautions and exchange for suitable services, it was allowed to rove all over the habitable world in Titan airships or on the huge boat-like atomic-engined vehicles which traversed the great roads, and to delve freely into the libraries containing the records of the planet's past and future. This reconciled many captive minds to their lot, since none were other than keen, and to such minds the unveiling of hidden mysteries of Earth closed chapters of inconceivable pasts and dizzying vortices of future, time which include the years ahead of their own natural ages, forms always, despite the abyssal horrors often unveiled, the supreme experiences of life. Now and then, certain captives were permitted to meet other captive minds, seized from the future, to exchange thoughts with consciousnesses living in hundred or thousand or million years before or after their own age. And all were urged to write copiously in their own languages of themselves in their respective periods. Such documents were to be filed in the great central archives. It may be added that there was one sad special type of captive whose privileges were far greater than those of the majority. These were the dying permanent exiles, whose bodies in the future had been seized by keen-minded members of the great race, who, faced with death, sought to escape mental extinction. Such melancholy exiles were not as common as might be expected, since the longevity of the great race lessened its love of life, especially among those superior minds capable of projection. From cases of the permanent projection of elder minds rose many of those lasting changes of personality noticed in later history, including mankind's. As for the ordinary cases of exploration, when the displacing mind had learned what it wished in the future, it would build an apparatus like that which had started its flight and reverse the process of projection. Once more, it would be in its own body, in its own age, while the lately captive mind would return to that body of the future to which it properly belonged. Only when one or the other was of the bodies had died during the exchange was this restoration impossible. In such cases, of course, the exploring mind had, like those of the death escapers, to live out an alien-bodied life in the future, or else the captive mind, like the dying permanent exiles, had to end its days in the form and past age of the great race. I... I didn't think about that. Like, if one of the bodies dies, what happens to them? You know, just, just things. Nothing, Dude, nothing too bad. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like if you're the one that's been traded with a yith, it sucks because you're stuck in the body, an alien body that will live a long, long time. Uh, 
on the other hand, I imagine the human lifespan is like a a blink of an eye for Yith. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's nothing. Like, sure, you're stuck in this alien body, but it's not going to last very long, which is kind of scary. I mean, only if you're a wimp. Yeah, only if you're a little baby, little piss baby. Yeah, and I only know uh, one piss baby on this podcast, and it's not me. (laughs) So... (laughs) 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 Oh, God. (laughs) Is it it Marky? (laughs) Yeah, Marky's here here once. Marky's definitely here with us right now. Marky Marky was on here once, weren't they? Yeah, once. (laughs) Yep. It's definitely Marky. That's not (laughs) anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse you, that's Queen Piss Baby to you. (laughs) I can't help that I cry a lot, okay? A therapist once told me that your tears are very close to the surface. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. <laughs> it feels like they might have been lying to you somehow. I don't know how. But I think it feels that like was that a nice. A I think it was a nice way of saying uh, you're very traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> you little baby. You you're little, just a little baby. You just a little baby. You cry a lot, yeah. little baby. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely what they're saying. She's like, get the fuck out of my office. (laughs) Look at this little fucking baby. Get out. Get out of here. (laughs) Get called a piss baby by your therapist. Great. This fate was least horrible when the captive mind was also of the great race. And a not infrequent occurrence. Since in all its periods, that race was intensely concerned with its own future. The number of dying permanent exiles of the great race was very slight, largely because of the tremendous penalties attached to displacements of the great race minds by the moribund. Through projection, arrangements were made to inflict these penalties on the infending minds in their new future bodies, and sometimes forced to re-exchanges were effected. Complex cases of the displacement of exploring were already captive minds by mines in various regions of the past had been known and carefully rectified. In every age since the discovery of mine projection, a minute but well-recognized element of the population consisted of great race mines from past ages, sojourning for a longer or shorter while. When a captive mind of alien origin was returned to its own body in the future, it was purged by an intricate mechanical hypnosis of all it had learned in the great race's age. This because of certain troublesome consequences inherent in the general carrying forward of knowledge in large quantities. The few existing instances of clear transmission had caused, and would cause at known future times, great disasters. And it was largely in consequence of two cases of the kind, said the old miss, that mankind had learned what it had concerning the great race. Of all things surviving physically and directly from that aeon-distant world, there remained only certain ruins of great stones in far places and under the sea, and parts of the text of the frightful narcotic manuscripts. 
I didn't really consider that they could trade places with their own kind or that they would. I guess that makes sense since they are. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah, I I guess now it makes perfect sense that they would want to know their own future. Yeah. That they would be obsessed with it as they are with hopping into our bodies as well. Thus, the returning mind reached its own age with only the faintest and most fragmentary visions of what it had undergone since its seizure. All memories that would be eradicated were eradicated, so that in most cases only a dream-shadowed blank stretched back to the time of the first exchange. Some minds were called more, and the chance joining of memories had at rare times brought hints of the forbidden past to future ages. There probably never was a time when groups or cults did not secretly cherish certain of these hints. In the Necronomicon, the presence of such a cult among human beings was suggested, a cult that sometimes gave aid to minds voyaging down the aeons from the days of the great race. And meanwhile, the great race itself waxed well-nigh omniscient and turned to the task of setting up exchanges with the minds of other planets and of exploring their pasts and futures. It sought likewise to fathom the past years and origin of that black, aeon-dead orb in far space, once its own mental heritage had come. For the mind of the great race was older than its bodily form. The beings of dying Elder Worlds, wise with the ultimate secrets, had looked ahead for a new world and species, wherein they might have a long life and had set their minds en masse to that future race best adapted to house them, the cone-shaped things that peopled our Earth billion years ago. Thus the great race came to be, while the myriad minds sent backwards were left to die in the horror of strange shapes. Later the race would again face death, yet would live through another forward migration of its best minds into the bodies of others who had a longer physical span ahead of them. Well, that's fucking horrifying. So no, basically, that is horrifying. they traded places with this other race, and they left those people that they traded places with just to die, like in whatever cataclysmic event killed them all. Yeah. Oh my course. god, that's awful. Yeah, uh, no one said the Yith was good. That's I okay. <laughs> 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 that's like an even more terrible element to all of this. That they just hop into a new race whenever that race starts to die out. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what they, that's kind of like their whole thing. I see, okay, (laughs) I see how the thing on the doorstep led to this. Yeah. This is really just like a really big expansion of the ideas that came from the thing on the doorstep. And you know what? I really like it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm very pro this. Such was the background of intertwined legend and hallucination. When, around 1920, I had my researches in coherent shape, I felt the slightest lessening of the tension. I felt the slight lessening of the tension which their earlier stages had increased. After all, in spite of the fancies prompted by blind emotions, were not most of my phenomena readily explainable? Any chance might have turned my mind to dark studies during the amnesia. And then I read the forbidden legends and met the members of ancient and ill-regarded cults. That 
plainly supplied the material for the dreams, disturbed feelings which came after the return of memory. As for the marginal notes in dream hieroglyphs in languages unknown to me, but laid at my door by librarians, I might easily have picked up a smattering of the tongues during my secondary state, while the hieroglyphs were doubtlessly coined by my fancy from descriptions and old legends, and afterwards woven into my dreams. I tried to verify certain points through conversation with known cult leaders, but never succeeded in establishing the right connections. At times, the parallelism of so many cases in so many distant ages continued to worry me as it had at first. But on the other hand, I reflected that the exitant folklore was undoubtedly more universal in the past than in the present. Probably all the other victims whose cases were like mine had had a long and familiar knowledge of the tales I had learned only when in my secondary state. When these victims had lost their memory, they had associated themselves with the creatures of their household myths, the fabulous invaders supposed to displace men's minds, and had thus embarked upon quests for knowledge, which they thought they could take back to a fancied non-human past. I want to say that maybe if the uh, the protag wasn't this little bitch, he'd have a, a fun time, you know? Yeah, just saying. Which places yeah. with an alien. And then it gave you your body back. It didn't have to. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm pro-consent, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm yeah. not here saying, like, oh, yeah, yeah, little, little piece baby. But also at the same time, like, you know, grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you discovered an alien race that can take over your body. How cool is that? And one of them yeah. thought that you were, like, important enough to hop into your body and then give it back because they got bored after five years. Yeah, Which I would I think I, will, I, I totally I probably get. would have gone as well. <laughs> yeah, I probably would have been like, well, I started enough cults. I did enough travel. I'm going to go home. <laughs> go take a long nap. Uh, then when their memory returned, they reversed the associative process and thought of themselves as former captive minds instead of the displacers. Hence the dreams and pseudo memories following the conventional myth pattern. Despite the seeming cumbersomeness of these explanations they finally they came finally to supersede all others in my mind largely because of the greater weakness of any rival theory and a substantial number of eminent psychologists and anthropologists gradually agreed with me the more i reflected the more convincing did my reasoning seem till in the end i had really effective bulwark against the visions and oppressions which assailed me Suppose I did see strange things at night. These were only what I had heard of and read of. Suppose I did have odd loathings and perspectives and pseudo-memories. These, too, were only echoes of myths absorbed in my secondary state. Nothing that I might dream, nothing that I might feel, could be of actual significance. Fortified by this philosophy, I greatly improved in nervous equilibrium, even though the visions rather than the abstract impressions, steadily became more frequent and more disturbingly detailed. In 1922, I felt able to undertake regular work again, and put my newly gained knowledge to practical use by accepting an instructorship in psychology at the university. My old chair of political economy had long been adequately filled, besides which methods of teaching economics had changed greatly since my heyday.
my son was at this time just entering on the postgraduate studies, leading to his present professorship, and we worked together a great deal. And that's the end of chapter three. So, um, I don't know. This is getting interesting. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Brought up a lot of new horrifying facts that I hadn't ever thought about, and yeah. I don't like. <laughs> like, yeah, it's because you're story, weak. Is, like you're the thing on this. I think it's just because, like, I keep thinking back to the thing on the doorstep and how Ephraim like stole his daughter's body and left her to die in his. Yeah, that does suck. That does suck. Um, and like tried to pass it like then passed off as like oh my dad's just really old and he's just going crazy ah <laughs> yeah and then in the end was gonna jump to somebody else's body yeah and then it- so, like i don't know exactly what lovecraft was going through at this point but you can definitely <laughs> tell he was, was like there's something going on there is something going on because like, um, like he had like several years where it's just like I don't know how to write this, and then he finally writes it good. Yeah, like yeah, it really came together with the whole idea of like what would it be like to be trapped in a dying body? It's like pretty awful, as it turns out, pretty bad. Well, I don't know. You're about to die, so maybe you should answer it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna die in like uh, I think like four years. No. More than that. Yeah, like, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have log. What was this written? <laughs> One sec. Nineteen thirty-four. <laughs> and completed in nineteen thirty-five, so he is four years after this before he dies. <laughs> yeah. Damn. So fuck. <laughs> That's rough, buddy. Yeah. Well But uh yeah, this this is uh, a pretty pretty good pretty good pretty good chapter. This is getting interesting. I like this so far. Yeah. I keep saying that, like, this is horrifying, but that doesn't mean that I don't like it. Yeah, it's because uh, you're queer, and that's, you know, (laughs) just a thing you have to deal with. Like, I always say, like, Hereditary is, like, terrifying and absolutely, like, an insane movie. That doesn't mean that I don't love it. It's a great movie. And I love it. Kind of like how I like like Midsommar, but I uh, dislike (laughs) so much of it. (laughs) so much of it is upsetting but also it's a great movie <laughs> yeah also anyone who says it isn't a white supremacist cult uh, is like is. A fucking blind just uh, look at everybody's hair and eye color and that will tell you everything everybody there is so blonde yeah except but, for like uh, but, a- but, but Scandinavia is so homogeneous no it isn't no it isn't everybody <laughs> no, it there isn't. It's like white blonde except for one redhead. Yeah. Uh but it's gross. But yeah. But yeah, uh, this, Oh, I need to find paper, the cl- closing thing. Yeah, I don't thing. know. Well, get your get the thing open so yeah. finish this. This has been this is getting good. I like this so far. The last chapter was a little slow. I didn't know how to feel about it. But this 10 out of 10. Go. All right. Well, this has been over in Smith. And remember, you are an irreplaceable gash in the fabric of reality. Your Keating static howl is like no other. And if it faded from the abyss, the void that would remain would be unfillable. And the mansions of silence would forever fill with our lament. Okay. Bye. 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 Can I be expected to tolerate? Uh,